Hello and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. We are diving into the rich and life-giving tradition of Advent this Christmas season. The word Advent, used to describe the 28 days that lead up to Christmas, stems from the Latin word Adventus, meaning coming. We want to spend this time intentionally slowing down, remembering Jesus' first coming, and growing our expectation of his second. Listen as Pastor Tim speaks about joy as he continues in the series, Advent, He Has Come. We hope that this talk will encourage and inspire you as you grow in your relationship with God and others. Well, good morning. Before I begin, I wanted to let you know about something that my wife and I are going through. Um, some of you may have noticed that I haven't been quite as available as I usually am on Sundays. I like to be out in the lobby area greeting people, or I come in here and I love to say hi to people and hug people and this and that. And maybe you've noticed I haven't done that for a little bit. You might have even noticed I've been slipping out a little bit early. And the reason for that is that about four weeks ago, my wife was diagnosed with lymphoma. So she has it, it's stage three. She has it in her lymph nodes, but also in a mass in her lower abdomen. So she's on some really heavy medicines right now, very aggressive medicines, as well as uh, she gets infusions every three weeks. Uh, there'll be six of those, and they'll see about the progress. And then she's taking like 18 different medicines, a lot of them to kind of um, help with the symptoms or the side effects of the chemo and that kind of thing. But it's, her, her uh, entire system, therefore, is kind of weakened by this. She's very susceptible her immune system, and so I'm going to be avoiding as much as possible contact. Um, my job, of course, is with people all the time, and one of the doctors we talked to didn't know I was a pastor, and he said something to the effect, well, whatever you do, don't go to church. <laughs> and didn't realize that, that well, it's kind of a little bit hard for me to do, but it does mean that you'll probably see me with a mask sometimes. I'm kind of slipping in, slipping out, and that kind of thing, just to protect my wife. So I wanted you to know about that. Uh, it's a lousy week for me to talk about that because our subject today is joy. But um, I think we can have joy despite the things that we face in this life, as we'll see in a minute. Uh, <clears throat> my wife Karen and I, though, uh, we like uh, Christmas music um, all the time all year round. And my wife kind of got turned me on to that because I, I used to think, well, you know, Christmas music, you don't start until after Thanksgiving. But uh, now, now we play it all year long, you know, but we don't do it when others are around. You know, we're like secret uh, Christmas music listeners. But because we love Christmas music, um, this time of year, as soon as Thanksgiving hits, there are usually one or two radio stations that play Christmas music exclusively. And so now we just have an excuse for always having Christmas music playing. And one of the stations is out of Pittsburgh. And about a week ago, my wife and I were coming back from our cabin. And when we were about 45 minutes from our house, we picked up that station out of Pittsburgh. And as soon as we picked up the station, a question popped into my mind. I was just curious about something. And literally, it was the first song. And the question was this, how many of the songs will have anything to do with Christ or the, the whole story? Anything about the manger, anything about anything related to Christmas? 
It was just my, I was just curious about it. And so we began listening to the songs. You know, the first one was Jingle Bells, you know. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Sounds like fun. I haven't done it before, but I'd love to do that sometime. Next song was Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. Uh, that one I could relate to. My wife and I were in Chicago one Christmas season. Everything was decorated so wonderfully, and there was actually a vendor on the sidewalk there selling chestnuts, roasting over an open fire. So every time I hear that song, I think of that time. It was really nice. And, and then the next two or three songs were about Santa Claus. And uh, some of those resembled a little bit to me worship songs, just a speck. And I thought if anybody was wondering what Christmas is about, they would certainly have concluded that Santa's the star of the show. You certainly would have gotten that idea. Now, I enjoyed all the songs, you know, even the better watch out, better not pout, better not cry, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. I enjoyed all of the songs, but I have to admit that I was disappointed as it, it, we kept listening And 45 minutes later, by the time we parked the car at home, not a single song had anything to do with Jesus. Not one. And I, I was kind of taken back by that. I, was, I wanted a, you know, a, a, a babe in a manger, you know, silent night, holy night, shepherds in their fields at night, oh, little town of Bethlehem, we three kings, the first Noel. I was listening for any one of those, just one and there weren't any. Not one that captured the true meaning of Christmas. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea here. Again, I like Christmas songs, and, and I may not have listened at the right time, but I, I have to admit that another question came into my mind, what are we celebrating if it's not Christ? What, what is it that we're really celebrating here? Now, I might not have been listening at the right time, and I know that on A couple other days, I turned on the same station as I was driving around for maybe about a half hour and still no more songs. And again, I might be missing the ones that have to do with Christmas. And my intention here today is not to, to criticize the radio station. It's really to kind of set up what I want to talk about here today. And that is, again, what is the source of our joy if it's not the Christ of Christmas? What is it exactly that we're celebrating Where do we look for joy at Christmas time? Now, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we're doing a series on the, the season of Advent. It usually is four Sundays, and then leading up to Christmas, the word Advent, as many of you know now, means coming or arrival. And Advent is about celebrating Jesus' first coming when he came as a baby and ended on a cross and then in a tomb and then back in heaven. And then the second Advent is when he's coming back again to reign. And we're confident Jesus is going to come back one day to reign. And so we celebrate both his comings. The first coming, we're looking forward to the second coming. And we've been focusing on the subjects that are usually focused on during the season of Advent. Hope was the first one Josh talked about. And then faith. I talked about faith last week. Why is Jesus worthy of our faith? Why do we have confidence if we put our trust in him? Well, today's subject is joy. And the story we're going to look at is the story where the shepherds appeared, I'm sorry, the angels appeared to the shepherds who were in their fields. And I love the story because it's a picture of just completely unbridled joy. It's like there's a party in heaven here over this announcement that Jesus was born. It was just a, a wonderful scene, a lot of joy around the whole situation. 
But what was the cause for the joy? Well, it's found in the message of the angels, as we're going to see in a minute. Now, before I read the story, let me set it up just a little bit. Uh, Joseph and Mary had made their way to Bethlehem because there had been this law or edict that was passed by Caesar Augustus that everybody had to go to their own hometown and register. It would be like a census that we take in our country every 10 years. And so they were required to go to their hometown. Presumably, that would keep people from double you know, counting or whatever. Go to your hometown, register. And so Joseph and Mary went there, and uh, they, they registered. And while they were there, before they came back, of course, the baby was born. Uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It was a tiny little town in, in Bible times. Uh, some have guessed that there were 300 people there lived in Bethlehem, maybe a little bit more than that, just a tiny little, little place. And there was really, at the birth of Jesus, I get this impression anyway, there was no celebration at all surrounding it. I mean, Joseph and Mary were thrilled, I'm sure. But Jesus was delivered in a stable, or more likely it was even a cave, and people weren't even aware of it. And I'm convinced that God would not allow such an amazing thing to happen without a celebration. There was no way that this baby was going to be born without God just shouting. I mean, just the heavens erupting with praise. And so that's what I think this scene is really all about. With that background, let's begin reading in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. We read, in that same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David." This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough or a manger. Now, let's stop for a moment, but I, I imagine that the, the scene here is very quiet that night for the shepherds. It would have been any like, like any other night, and I, I get a sense, if I can believe the greeting cards, that it was a starry night. You know, it was, it was a time in the world when you didn't have a lot of light noise. You know what light noise is. When too much light, you can't see the heavens. But they would have been able to see the, the, the heavens here. Most likely, by the way, this did not take place in December. I know that could be disappointing for some, but scholars are pretty much in agreement that, that actually his birth was not in, in December. A scholar by the name of Jameson puts it this way, from about Passover time in April until autumn, the flocks pastured constantly in the open fields, the shepherds lodging there all that time. In other words, they, they basically lived outside during a certain period of time in which this event took place. It was between April and August. The date, of course, doesn't matter. You know, we, we picked December 25th. There are reasons why, by the way, and if you go online, some will tell you it had to do with a pagan holiday and this and that. That's not the right explanation for why December 25th, and I don't want to get there. But Jesus was born here, and the announcement was made to some shepherds who were in their field at night. And so far, only one angel has appeared with this, this announcement. I love the fact that it was to shepherds. In Jesus' day, they were a very humble group of people. In fact, they would have been looked down on by most of the society 
even though David, the, the ancestor, you know, King David had been a shepherd, but they were looked down on. And yet, God sent angels to this particular group. And it demonstrates to me God's heart toward just the average person because God could have sent the angels to somebody important, maybe a prophet or some religious leaders or some civic leaders or some other very important people, but the ones that God sent the angels to were these humble shepherds. And so this one angel appears and accompanied with this angel was great glory. Uh, oftentimes the glory of God is reflected in light. And so this angel came and really bathed the whole scene with light as he made this particular announcement. And the text indicates that these shepherds were terrified, of course. Uh, the actual Greek wording of that, by the way, is they feared a great fear. It's a very strong way to say they were paralyzed by fear. And all of us would be, you know. I think that's, by the way, my own opinion. It was one angel, then the others. I think the one angel came first because they would have had a heart attack if they all showed up at once. And so, anyway, it was a very glorious thing. And the angel had a, a wonderful message. And we're going to get into his message in a minute. But let's continue reading. But the message is so important because it's the reason for the joy. But let's continue on in verse 13. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has shown us or made known to us. Last year when I was researching this whole story and everything, I came across three details I, I never knew before. And let me remind you what they were, but there are three details of this story I just never knew. Uh, and, and it revolves around three different words that are part of this story. The first word is multitude. It says there was a multitude of the heavenly host. And that word multitude is used in other places in, in Greek writing to indicate a really, really big number, a huge number. We may be talking about 1,000 angels. We may be talking about 10,000 angels. One scholar believes there were 120,000. He believes there may have been as many as 12 legions of angels because that's the number Jesus referred to in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, well, I could call 12 legions of angels. In either case, it's a lot more profound and exciting than I usually envision. When I read the story, I guess I've had in my mind that there were like five or six angels or a dozen maybe, which would be enough. I think the heavens were absolutely filled with the angelic host. It was, it was an amazing celebration. Only two other times in the Bible do you read about angels maybe celebrating like this. One was at creation itself. They were filled with awe, and the next is coming in Revelation one day, a great celebration. But R.C. Lenski writes about this, thousands of angels appeared and filled the expanse, expanse of the sky. All this indeed for only a handful of poor shepherds. And so multitude of the angels is the first thing. The second word is host. It was a multitude of the heavenly host. And the word host there is a military term, and I didn't discover that until last year. This is God's army. And so God sent his army, and one commentator made this interesting observation that this is really God's army proclaiming peace. He wasn't coming to declare war. He was coming to declare peace. And it was really wonderful. And then the final 
detail that I didn't realize, but many scholars believe this, is that the message that the angels gave was kind of like in waves. It wasn't just they said their message. It was more like a responsive reading. Some of you have been to church that had a responsive reading, you know, where somebody read something, then the congregation said something, then it went back and forth like this. Well, many feel this is exactly what, what was happening. Waves of, of angelic voices. One set would say, glory to God in the highest, and the other would say, peace on earth, goodwill toward people. Back and forth, glory to God, goodwill toward people, and peace. And it illustrates to me that it is the glory of God that, that there be peace. It brings God glory when there's peace, which I'm going to talk about next week, Lord willing. But let's get to the rest of the story here, beginning verse 16. We read, they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. Now, it wouldn't have been difficult for the shepherds to find this baby. I think they just needed to knock on a few doors and say, did you hear any crying or some screaming woman or something? It would have been easy to find. It was, like I said, it was a small town. And when they found the baby in a feeding trough, they would have realized, yes, that was the sign that the angels gave. Who puts a baby in a feeding trough? Nobody. But as you know the story, Joseph and Mary, there was no room for them in the city, mostly, by the way, because it was a small town. It has nothing to do with the inhospitality of an innkeeper. I think that whoever let them use the, the, their stable actually was very kind-hearted and said, I've got nothing but, and gave this. But this story ends with that the shepherds were glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. So what was so amazing about this message? What was so joyful about it? Why, why it was a, a celebration with angels and a celebration with the shepherds and certainly a celebration with Mary and Joseph and all who heard about it. What about it was so exciting, so amazing, so wonderful? Well, let's go to this message again. First of all, is the first part is that first angel. And this is what he said in verses 10 and 11. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy. Of course, that's our subject today. Good news, great joy that will be for all the people. Today, a Savior who is Messiah the Lord was born for you in the city of David. Then the second part of the message was delivered by this host again. They said in verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. I'd like to focus on just three words from this announcement that are the reason why we can have joy. The first is the word Savior. Savior has been born. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'd be curious if you, what you think would happen if you asked the average person, do you need a Savior? If you asked a person, you know, how many people would acknowledge in our culture today if you said, do you need a Savior? How many people would say, I sure do? Now, I might be cynical, but I think most people would say, why would I need a Savior? What do I need a Savior for? 
I don't need to be, what do I need to be delivered from? And in Jesus' day when this baby was born, uh, I think even the shepherds would have been thinking when the angel said that there's, you know, a savior has been born, they would have been thought, thinking about a military savior. At the time, you know, um, Israel was under Roman domination and they were waiting for someone to come and save them and deliver them from Rome. And so here's this announcement, a savior has come and, and all of the people in Israel would have said, yeah, we need a savior, but they wouldn't have been thinking spiritually at all. But there's no doubt about it that spiritual salvation is the main point and the most significant and infinitely better than this salvation in some political sense. God is offering salvation. Now, one of the greatest questions that any of us could ever ask is how do we as sinful people get right with the Holy God? Or another way to put it out, what do we do about our sin? You know? And it is a problem. The sin is a bigger issue than I think any of us realizes. It's really a much bigger deal. It's a, it's a bigger problem. The word sin means to miss the mark, or the main word that's translated sin, both in the Old and New Testament, it means to miss the mark. And so you can imagine the example I think of is somebody shooting an arrow and they miss the target completely. And so all of us sin and fall short of God's standard, Paul wrote, the righteousness of God, we all fall short of that. We, we might be aiming in that direction, but we all miss. But there are other Greek and Hebrew words for, for sin that capture other ideas. One of the words has the idea of, of stepping off the path. In the Old Testament, there's a lot of scripture about the way of life or the path of life or the path of righteousness. God has laid out in his word the right path, the life-giving path, and we're supposed to stay on the path. In our culture, we call it stay on the straight and narrow, but we all walk off. The path is going this way, but we, we get turned over this way. Another word is trespasses. Some of the older versions of the Bible talk about, you know, forgive us our trespasses in the Lord's prayer. And so you know what a trespass is. You see a sign. It says no trespassing. But all of us, all of us see the sign sometimes and we say, I'm going to trespass anyway. I know I'm not supposed to. I know the sign says don't, but I'm going to do it anyway. All of us are guilty of trespassing. All of us are guilty of sin. All of us have wandered off the path. All of us have missed the mark. This is the condition in which we find ourselves. And again, sin is, is more destructive than we think it is. Think about it just in, a, in the sense of how we treat one another. Because sin just messes up things. It's just, you know, what, give an ex, here's an example. What if everybody in our society, literally everybody, followed the Ten Commandments to a T? How much better would life be? What if everybody said, you're my God. There'll be no other gods before you, no other idols in my heart. And we listened to God and we did what God asked us to do. Wouldn't life be better in our world? What if, what if nobody lied? Don't lies cause problems? Any of you been affected by lies? I, I, I'm hating lies the longer I go. Now, I have to admit I've been guilty of lies. But I hate lies. As time goes on, I hate lies. Let me give you an example. I keep getting a text from UPS. We can't deliver your package. We need some information from you. Fill out this form. Tell me your social security number and your bank number. Yeah, come on. Liars? You know, I get emails like that too, people trying to rip me off. I hate it. 
I hate it. And some of them, and I'm serious here, I probably shouldn't do it, but some of them, I send back a message. Of course, now I don't want to click anything on my phone anyway. But I send back a message that says, read Revelation 22:16 and discover where you're going. In Jesus' name. <laughs> I hate lies. And, and we all do, don't we? And stealing. You know, there's an article in, in today's newspaper about porch pirate, porch pirates. I can hardly say it here. They take your, your presence and everything. 15% of the people acknowledge that in the last year somebody took presents or packages that were delivered to them. I hate it. I hate when people steal from one another. I remember a time that somebody broke into my car when I was in Baltimore and I had a computer in there and they stole my computer. It was a rainy day, so I should come up to my car, the window's broken. I, that was foolish on my part to make it anyway seeable. Rain was pouring in, the broken glass was everywhere. They take my computer. What made me mad about it is that that computer maybe would earn them $100 if they go sell it somewhere. To me, it was worth $5,000. I mean, what I mean by that, I mean, I had, my life was on there. I had all this stuff. The disruption it caused me. I hate people who steal. And you go down the list of the Ten Commandments. Thou should not commit adultery. <laughs> Honor your father and your mother. Children, obey your parents. And all these things. What would life be like if we just would do what God asks us to do? Life would be so much better. But sin kind of messes things up. It also, of course, impacts us indirectly. I've talked a lot about this before, how every painful thing in life is indirectly related to sin, if not directly. Because when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, a curse came on everything. Now we have a world of sickness and thorns and death and everything else. All, of, every, all the bad stuff, it's because of sin. But the worst thing about sin is that it separates us from God. It comes between us. We were created specifically to have a relationship with our Creator, and sin has put a gap between us. We're no longer holy, and we're disqualified from going to heaven because of our unholiness. Heaven's a perfect place. You can't, you know, we're disqualified. We're, we're not perfect people. So how do we fix this? Well, you can't fix it yourself. I can't fix it myself. I am the problem. I can't, I can't. You can't fix it yourself. Well, then, what do you do? Well, you need a, a deliverer. Is there somebody there that could save us? That's what Jesus came to do. He came to save. He lived a sinless life so that he would be an appropriate one to take upon himself the penalty of all the sin in the world. He said, I'll, I'll volunteer. I'll take it all upon myself. And he died a most horrible death. But three days later, he rose again from the dead. God accepted the payment he made on our behalf. And we have tremendous promises in the Bible that if we'll receive Christ, if we'll put our trust in him, we'll have eternal life. He came to save us from our sin. He came to make it so we could be declared not guilty so that we could go to heaven. A tremendous cost Jesus paid so that God could extend forgiveness as a free gift. And God literally removes our sin from us in a legal sense so that we are qualified then to go to heaven. But it requires putting our faith in Christ. But he was, he was the Savior, and it's the, the most wonderful thing about the whole story that, that our sin can be forgiven. 
through faith in Christ. Now, the second word is the word Messiah, and this would have been very significant to these shepherds. Luke 2, 11, again, today a Savior who is Messiah the Lord was born for you in the city of David. This would have been exciting to these shepherds because they've been waiting a thousand years for, the, for this Messiah to come. Prophets had prophesied about this. Hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament point to a Messiah. Now, the word Messiah, it means anointed one or set apart one or chosen one. That's what the word means. And Messiah is the Hebrew form of the Greek word Christ or Christos. And so when you say Jesus Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's like Tim Herring, Jesus Christ. No, it's his title. He's our Messiah. He was the sent one. And in many cases, it has the idea of, of reigning as king, that Jesus came first as a savior, but he's going to reign as king forever and ever. The website godquestions.org explains in biblical times, though anointing someone with oil was a sign that God was consecrating or setting apart that person for a particular role, thus an anointed one was someone with special God-ordained purpose. By the way, he's called Messiah the Lord, and that phrase, the Lord, is pointing back to the Old Testament name for God, Yahweh. The, this announcement was that the Yahweh, God of the Old Testament, took on flesh and blood, was born into this world. That's the announcement, the Messiah. And he did come to reign, but he's, this one isn't completely fulfilled yet. There's still more to come. There's a third thing, though, that the angels announced that would have brought joy in addition to Savior and Messiah, but they announced peace on earth. Now, I'm not going to get into this one today because I want to talk about it next week. Next week's subject is peace. It's a lot bigger than you think it is. The peace that God announces to us is a peace that extends all over the place. But you have to come back next week as we talk about that. What do we do with this today? Well, I want to offer three applications here. The first one, I want to encourage you to focus on the real reason for the season, which is Christ. I thought of this one just because I thought of that, the music and realized, where's Christ? And during this time of year, we do focus on a lot of things, and we get distracted by a lot of things, all the preparations, all kinds of things. But what if we focused on Christ? I think it would make a difference. We say, you know, this, this season, I'm going to just focus my attention on you. Number two is to find joy in Christ. That's where we need to find our joy. In Philippians 4.4, the Apostle Paul wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This uh, verse has bothered me for some time because it says rejoice in the Lord always. It doesn't say rejoice in the Lord most of the time. Or sometimes. It's always. And so you say, well, what, what, how unreasonable is that? Well, if it's in the Lord, it's not unreasonable. Because rejoicing in the Lord means we're not rejoicing in our circumstances, but in Him. And He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If our joy is attached to circumstances, you will be up and down like a yo-yo. When things are going well in your life, you're going to be filled with joy. And then when they're not, you're going to be down here in the valley but we're told to fix our eyes completely on Him, on Christ. And you can rejoice if it's in the Lord. And that's where joy is supposed to be. I'm reminded of the disciples who were sent out by Jesus 
And they were given the ability to perform miracles and cast out demons and this and that. And they came back to Jesus so excited, like, we did all these amazing things. Jesus said, don't get excited about that. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice that you know me. I mean, this is what matters. And so focus on the real reason for the season. Find joy in him, and then finally place your faith in him. And this is primarily for those of you that maybe don't know where you stand with Jesus Christ. Has there come a point in your life where you put your trust or confidence in him? It's, it's really a simple acknowledgement of your condition. I need a savior. Now, if you don't think you need a savior, Christ, you, you won't find Christ because it's only those who reach out to him and see their need. I need a savior. And then you reach out to Jesus Christ. You put your confidence, your faith, your trust in him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Or as again, John wrote, as many as receive Jesus to those who believe in his name, God gives the privilege to become his children. Or God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. He needs to be the object of our trust. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for Jesus. This is really a celebration. And again, it's just so brilliant, I think, of your plan it's just inconceivable from a human mind that our creator would take on flesh and blood and live among us and then submit himself, subject himself to the treatment he received just so that we could enter into a relationship with you through faith in him. And so we celebrate Jesus, we adore him, and we're grateful this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.